Hello and welcome to the Law and Legend Halloween special. In this episode, special guest storyteller Jason Buck brings us his original chilling interpretation of Japanese legend in a tale about the mysterious Baku, the Japanese dream eater, and the Umeboku, a ghoulish apparition of a sea monk. You're listening to Law and Legend, the Halloween special, part one. The Dream Eater On the eastern coast of one of the smaller Japanese islands, there is a fishing village. Akiko had moved there to live with her grandfather when she was nine after her father had died. She had lived in a big city, where the great steam engines brought food by rail from towns and villages far away, and she'd loved to spend time watching the gleaming locomotives puff and chuff their ways into the busy station on shining rails, where important men swaggered in their western suits, soldiers walked stiffly in their smart uniforms, and beautiful, glamorous ladies, wrapped in their kimonos and obis, with painted faces, tiptoed past on wooden sandals, talking and giggling modestly behind their fans. Her father had worked on the railways as a goods manager, a job to be proud of, especially with humble beginnings as a fisherman's son. But it was also his downfall when, one day, He'd got caught between shunting trucks and later died at home in his wife's arms, watched by his little daughter. Not long after that awful day, Akiko and her mother moved to live with her grandfather, her father's father, in a small house that was built partly on the land and partly on stilts out over the sea, in a sheltered bay with black rocks and deep water. She loved her grandfather, and he was always kind to her, even though since her father's death and too old to fish any more, he had become very quiet and prone to spending time looking out to sea and painting pictures that he never showed anyone and always threw away. She loved her grandfather, but his house was dark, had waves lapping under the bedroom at high tide, made strange noises at night and had a feeling of loneliness and that there were people missing who should have been there. Akiko spent her days going to school and learning to like the new children she met, who knew nothing about trains and big cities, but told her about the sea and the rocks and the weather and the sky. At night, she didn't dream. She'd not dreamt since her father had died. She would lie awake listening to the quiet noises of the fishing village, of the waves against the pile supporting the portion of the building over the water, and the strange noises in that dark and lonely house until she found herself waking in the morning and her mother rousing her for school or chores around their new home. She hadn't dreamt since her father had died. She hadn't dreamt until the Umibozu came. The children at the village school had told her about the Umibozu and how it came from the cold, dark places under the sea the place where lost souls went, and she had told them how silly they were and how such things couldn't possibly exist in a world of steam locomotives and cannons and factories. But it didn't stop the Umibozu from coming. 
The first night it came to visit Akiko, she had felt she was lying awake in her darkened bedroom. A high tide was nuzzling the house underneath her, and a ragged moon made shadow puppets from her curtains when she first heard the creak of oars in their locks. Even before the shadow of the Umibozu blotted out the moonlit window, she knew what it was that approached her quiet, lonely room from the quiet, lonely parts of the cold black sea. She became rigid with fear when she heard and felt the boat bump into one of the wooden supports outside. Unable to cry out and paralysed by the dream, she watched as the silhouetted figure of a man climbed up the outside of her bedroom wall. His head was large and round and appeared to be clean-shaven like a priest, while his body moved and shifted with a ghost-like insubstantiality, and his arms coiled and writhed like snakes or an octopus's tentacles. Akiko could do nothing as the Umibozu opened her window and part slid, part drifted, and part climbed in to lean over her in her bed. And then she woke, shaking and crying alone in the dark. That was the first night little Akiko had the dream. And then the dreams continued. The dreams were always about the Umibozu. It would row its boat from the far reaches of the wild and deep ocean to her window, where it would climb in and leer over her and tell her stories of the horrors of the deep. It would tell her how it had sunk a ship or dragged a crew into the cold dark, how it would watch the souls of those who were lost wander the soundless fathoms where great whales dove and battled with squid as large as the locomotives she'd loved. And each time, Akiko, thinking herself awake, would suddenly awake for real in the dark of her room, her face chilled with her own tears. One morning, after a particularly stormy night, her grandfather had remarked that a barrel had gone missing from outside their house and must have been swept into the sea. But Akiko knew what had really happened, as just like the legend said, when the Umibozu had visited her the night before, it had told her it had come for a barrel to fill with seawater in which to drown sailors. This must have been the barrel it had taken. Now Akiko was only nine, and she had already known tragedy in her short life. But sadness is the other side of the coin of happiness, and she knew she had to beat the demons in her dreams in order to be free of them. So she quietly asked advice of her grandfather, who was very old and therefore naturally very wise. She asked him how, just for the sake of conversation you understand, uh, how one might go about beating a demon or something that haunted the night, if such thing might ever occur to someone else. Her grandfather looked directly at her, into her eyes and into her soul, and his weather-browned face wrinkled in a sad smile. He told her that such a person might make an offering at a shrine such as the old ruined one as she passed on her way to school, and that an offering should be made to that person's ancestors and to the gods, and be made from good food set aside for the occasion. She thanked him and didn't realise the next morning that her grandfather had encouraged her mother to pack too much lunch for Akiko's school day and to separate the food for his granddaughter's lunch from another parcel of food, neatly and carefully wrapped. 
On her way to school, Akiko took the opportunity to use this extra food as an offering to the old Shinto shrine, and did her best to be solemn and pray to her ancestors, even if she wasn't quite sure who they were, and to the gods for help to banish the Umibozu. Night came and found Akiko lying scared and alone in her bed, listening to the waves, listening for the sound of the creaking of oars. But this night, things were different. Instead of being alerted by the sound of an approaching boat, Akiko found herself sitting bolt upright as the room was filled with a bright silver glow from the full moon. She was afraid, or rather in awe, as suddenly stepping in through her bedroom door was a figure in full battle armour. There were flat shoulder plates made of strips of metal knotted with scarlet lacing and a breastplate with the intricate design of a chrysanthemum embossed on it. The left hand, whose back was shielded by a plate of moulded, hammered steel, rested, fingers curling around a sword's handle bound with criss-cross fabric, sheathed and thrust through the binding belts at the warrior's waist. Under the other arm was a helmet with a sweeping back formed from interlocking plates and strips to protect the back of the neck when worn and completed with a faceplate of bronze, a grotesque grimace snarling out at the world. But the most remarkable thing about the proud and clearly capable seasoned warrior that stood in Akiko's room that night was the owner of the armour was not a man, but a woman. A beautiful woman's face smiled calmly and kindly down at the little girl in her bed. She told Akiko that she was her grandmother of many generations before, who had had to take up arms when there were no longer any men to fight. She told her how she had come from heaven, and that Akiko's prayers had been heard, and that she knew of the Umibozu's nightmare visits, and how her granddaughter of many generations hence had asked for help. Akiko's cheeks burned with embarrassment. But her grandmother of many generations past furrowed her brow and admonished the girl, saying that without fear there can be no true bravery. She then told her that while she could not help her directly, as a visit tonight was all that heaven would allow, Akiko could help herself by calling on the help of the Dream Eater. The Baku, she explained, was a magical animal, with the body of a pig, the feet of a tiger, the tail of an ox, the nose of an elephant, and the eyes of a rhinoceros. She told Akiko that she must draw a picture of the Baku before going to bed, and if the Umibozu should visit her in her nightmares, she should say the words, Bakusan, come eat my dreams. Bakusan, come eat my dreams. Bakusan, come eat my dreams. Having delivered her message and smiling kindly at the child, the Ona Bugesha Akiko's grandmother of many generations past pulled on her helm with its snarling faceplate and pulled the thongings tight under her chin. Then in one swift movement her right hand swept onto the sword handle and without stopping drew the silver blade which sang from its sheath and cut an arc through the night air, splitting the darkness and allowing the golden morning sun to pour through the bedroom window, waking Akiko to a fresh and hopeful morning. That night, after acquiring some paper and charcoal from her grandfather, she drew a picture, a picture of this curious chimera with the body of a pig, the feet of a tiger, the tail of an ox, the nose of an elephant and the eyes of a rhinoceros 
before settling down to sleep. In the dark, in slumbering hours, from the depths of the sea, the Umibozu came that night. The bump of its boat outside sent Akiko's heart racing, and her eyes opened wide with fear. Her breathing quickened as its shadow crept across the window. Then it came in, its great bald head shining, its arms twisting jointlessly, whispering secrets of the lost deeps, of bones and tears and the places where jawless eels crept in the lightless cold, looking for salt-tendered flesh on which to feast while decades passed. But Akiko, remembering the words of her ancestor, summoned up her courage from the shallows of her fears and cried out the words, Bakusan, come eat my dreams! Bakusan, come eat my dreams! Bakusan, come eat my dreams! The Umibozu stopped in the middle of its tales of terror and looked to a dark corner of the room and in that darkness two yet darker eyes blinked back. Stepping from the shadow came a curious beast, made as if from several others. It had the body of a pig, the feet of a tiger, the tail of an ox, the nose of an elephant, and the eyes of a rhinoceros. The Umibozu's face contorted in fury at the appearance of the Baku, and its rage brought the storms and the winds and the waves beat against the walls of Akiko's bedroom and spilled in through the window, filling her room with seawater. But the Baku, after casting a glance at the Umibozu, simply dipped its trunk-like nose into the salt water and sucked and sucked until all the water had vanished. This only served to encourage the Umibozu yet further, and as its fury increased, so did the fury of the storm. Akiko, trapped between the hideous Umibozu and the stoic but fantastical-looking Baku, watched, unable to cry out or run. Then, like a painted piece of paper on the wall being grasped in its centre by someone with wetted fingertips, the Baku sucked at the Umibozu and the window and the storm, and the whole of the nightmare crumpled and folded was stretched and dragged, screaming in anger, into the Baku's snout with a noise like water rushing down a lead pipe, until suddenly there was silence. The Umibozu had gone. The storm had gone, and all was quiet in Akiko's room. The only noises she could hear were the faint sounds of the fishing village and the waves lapping against the wooden stanchions. The Baku, on its short, strong legs, walked over to Akiko and lay down beside her like a large and comforting guard dog, and stayed until Akiko's dreams slipped away entirely. In the morning, there was, of course, no trace of the Baku and also no trace of seawater in her room, and no rowing boat moored up outside her window. From that night on, Akiko began to dream again. Most of the time they were just dreams that didn't bother her, and were the usual jumbled compendium of surreal moments where she was receiving presents, playing with kittens, helping her grandfather or her mother, or other mundane day-to-day -day events. But on some nights she, like all of us, still had the occasional nightmare. <laughs> 
and on those nights she would cry, Bakusan, come eat my dream. Bakusan, come eat my dream. Bakusan, come eat my dream. And from a shadow within a shadow, the Baku would come and gobble up whatever horrors had come to visit, and then keep her safe until morning. You've been listening to the Lore and Legend Halloween Special, Episode 1, The Dream Eater. Join us tomorrow for Episode 2, The Cannibal King's Daughter. Our story today was interpreted and performed by Jason Buck. For more from Jason, you can visit his website or search for Jason Buck on Facebook. Find all of the relevant links in the episode notes. This episode also featured music by Brandon and Derek Feister, and additional sounds and music were sourced from the community at freesound.org. Full audio credits are available at www.loreandlegend.co.uk. You can also go there for news about upcoming episodes and more info about our stories and their sources in world folklore. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at of lore and legend and if you like what you hear and you want to hear more please consider supporting the podcast through our creators page on patreon you can find links on our website once again thank you for listening story folk